Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome to this episode of The Joyful Frugalista podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I have a favor to ask of you. If you love this podcast as much as I do recording it, please leave a comment, hopefully a nice one, and also to make sure to tell your friends and help spread the word. Now to my guest. When you think of fashion, often it's about the latest it thing to hit the stores in the shopping mall. But that perception of fashion is changing and Lolita Lowe is part of a sustainability movement in fashion. Lolita is the author of It's Time to Rethink Your Fashion. She is also a personal fashion curator working with women to help make conscious fashion choices. Trained as a fashion designer in Melbourne and Paris, she has worked in the fashion industry in New York, Paris and Australia. She is also a certified fashion stylist and has served on the advisory board of one of Australia's top fashion schools. Just to name a few fabulous things. Welcome, Lolita. Thanks, Serena. It's so great to be here. I really appreciate you, you know, inviting me to have this conversation. Thank you. And we were just talking a little bit about where you are because you're not in your normal place at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm currently in Hobart, Tasmania, so I'm normally from Melbourne. I got here during the window when the borders were open and I'm, and I'm staying here for a while now. I booked I, I booked my flight last minute. I, I had to pack a, one suitcase in just a really short time. So I really learned how to live a minimal lifestyle, frugal fashion lifestyle, and make use of the clothes I have. And then also it's kind of inspired me to look for some pre-loved and vintage items. So yeah, interesting times. Wow, so you are definitely living the frugal, sustainable, capsule wardrobe dream right now. Mm-hmm, really am. <laughs> and uh, what I'm wearing at the moment is even a little piece that I found at a vintage store here in Hobart. They have some really great places, so yeah. Hobart is very quirky like that, isn't it? It really is. And you know what? It's so different when you're here for an extended time. I, I'm not You may have experienced that yourself when as opposed to being like a tourist actually living somewhere you experience a whole different kind of life I guess. Yeah it is quite different I haven't spent extended time in Tasmania but maybe that's something to put on the wish list. Yeah definitely I found some amazing new places you know not only with fashion but with food and just little pockets to hang out it's really really special. So how did you get into fashion in the first place? Well, I guess there's kind of two things. I'd always been inspired by textiles and the the basics of fashion, like pattern making and sewing. My mother used to dye her own wool and spin and weave on a hand loom and make her own clothes. So it was a real influence for me growing up. And at the time, I didn't like it because I thought it was too alternative. Um, but I realized as I got older that how much it really influenced me and how I was so it really did inspire me to look for you know different things in fashion and look for textures and fabric anyway so yeah I wasn't I haven't always been in fashion and when I was in my 20s I lived in India and I lived there for four years studying meditation actually and the one of the things that really inspired me while I was living there was the colors and the fabrics of India and the rich culture and it it kind of brought the the fashion gene <laughs> alive in me and um, that really set me on the path in fashion so I decided that I wanted to work in the industry then which is really like a con- contradiction you would think right to meditation like so different how the worlds couldn't be any more different 
But, yeah, that's what kind of got me started. And then uh, after I came back to Australia later on, I decided that I really wanted to work in fashion. So I, I headed off to Paris, just took myself to Paris. And before that, I went to New York and got invited to work for a designer there. So that just set off the whole kind of trajectory, I guess. What an amazing journey and journeys, really, because you've done quite some amazing things that a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to do. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like a lot of people say to me, wow, you're so brave just launching yourself (laughs) into a new country. I guess on reflection it is, but personally it was just like I I just, I'm kind of like that when I make a decision about something, I just go for it. So, yeah, it was really interesting in New York when I went there. They're so amazing, the New Yorkers. They're always just willing to get on board with an idea. And I went to a party, I think it was the second day after I arrived there, and I told a woman, oh, yeah, I've come, you know, I want to work in fashion. This is why I'm travelling. I'm going to Paris. She said, oh, my God, really? I've got a friend. He's in fashion. He's got a show right now. I'm going to call him. She (laughs) called him. He said, yes, can you come tomorrow? I can almost imagine that with, you know, the strong New York accent. I'm going to call him right now. (laughs) That's not even the right accent, but you know what I mean? You can almost imagine it. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just making things happen. Making things happen. (laughs) Fabulous. And, you know, I guess when people think of fashion, they often think glamour. So they do think Mm -hmm. the the whole fashion show kind of thing. But is that what the industry is really like behind the scenes? It's a really great question, Serena, and I think it's, you know, multifaceted because there is that side. There is the glamorous side. When you get into those couture brands, it's incredible. I mean, the fabrics that they have, the artisanal skills, the the craftsmanship, it's amazing. When you're, you know, around the photo shoots, especially, uh, I mean, things have changed a bit now because there's not as much money being invested in photo shoots. But, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the September issue, which is um, highlights Vogue and when it talks about, you know, shooting the September issue, which was their biggest issue, and, Grace Coddington, who would organise the the photo shoots, they are amazing, glamorous, incredible. That's one side. And I think then there is the perception that's created. There's the perception that fashion is glamorous with all the marketing that goes behind it. So we get pulled into that because that's what gets pushed out to us. So we buy into that. And that's a whole other issue, you know, like making us feel like we have to be someone that we're not or, you know, there's different levels of that. And then... There's the industry itself, which is also multi multifaceted. Like I think I before I went to Paris, I had a bit of a um, con- that concept that it's really glamorous, and then I experienced two things. Firstly, I experienced that when you're you're really in the the higher end, you know, with the the amazing creatives in the industry, they're so such incredible people, so down to earth, so hardworking, so visionary, and it really is kind of glamorous because you you experience this whole other perception of art and fashion as art and then on the other side it's it's really hard work like people only become successful like that with incredible sleepless nights you know especially around fashion week you don't sleep for 48 hours like it's it's really intense I have a girlfriend who works in fashion for a magazine she doesn't sleep for a week you know I see her and she's yeah like it's horrible you know she has big dark circles around her eyes I mean, she's amazing at what she does and does great work, like is around incredible people. So in one way, it's kind of worth it. But the other way, it's, you know, it's really hard work. And I remember seeing a documentary of the Australian brand Ellery, and she is so committed to her, her craft and she, she loves fashion. And it shows that when you get to the pointy end with the shows, you're just working around the clock. 
think that's one part that the the Devil's Wears Prada did highlight, just how intense it is. And then also there's the sustainability issues, you know, which which my book talks about. It's just it's just a big conversation. I mean, I think as, as fashion has sped up over the years, it's just been creating more and more waste, more and more pollution, more and more environmental damage. And then there's also the ethical question, which is, you know, with the big factories, people are really being pushed to meet incredible deadlines that they can't sustain, then barely paid anything. And, and there's just so much of a conversation around that, which my book covers. So, yeah, that's not glamorous. And that, no. that's what I talk about. <laughs> It's definitely not glamorous. And you do talk in your book about the rise of fast fashion. And to be honest, for a long time, I was thinking fast fashion just in terms of shoddily made goods, but it's more than that, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think fast fashion is really, it, look, it's, it's increased. I mean, it really started around the 1800s when the Industrial Revolution came about. Before that, it, clothing was made really by hand. And then as, as technology came about, you know, textile factories, borders opening, people being able to produce offshore, people, they would start to get labour, really cheap labour, make clothing at really at cheap prices with really cheap textiles. So it's more than just the shoddy goods too. It's the whole, you know, package of things and the timings. Yeah, it's the timings. I mean, it's the scale of of the clothing that is produced. So there's like hundreds of thousands of garments that are produced weekly going into stores. This puts stress on the environment because there's it just requires so much energy, so many resources. And then it's also the the question with the the labour that's required and unethical working conditions that are really used to create this cheap clothing. But at the same time, there's a mentality that it creates. So, mm. you know, fast fashion has made us believe that clothing is only worth a certain amount of money. And the thing is that they're only able to sell this clothing at these cheap prices because they use materials that don't biodegrade in the environment and that are basically made from plastic. And they use cheap labour. And But we're not shown that. So it's created a whole facade around what the value of clothing is, and it's cheapened the value of clothing. I'm shocked too when I notice this, particularly the discount retailers. They they often have the racks out the front. You can buy things like t-shirts for $3, sometimes even $2. Like I can't even buy that in an op shop. Mm-mm. And in fact, if I bought it new and never wore it and then gave it to an op shop, it would probably be thrown out because they couldn't make a profit from it either. But yes, yeah. yet it's perfectly good good items. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I've had many conversations with women who say, oh, look, I don't even worry about it. You know, I'm just going to buy this T-shirt knowing I won't wear it again and I'll just get a new one. Or I just go to the whatever fast fashion brand it is because, I, you know, I know it's cheap. And it's just it's hard to break through sometimes in that conversation because people really just think that clothing should be cheap now. I remember when I was growing up, you had to wait for a collection of a fashion brand to come out. It was really exciting. It was often made in Australia, it was more expensive. But we we only call it expensive because now fast fashion has made us think that it should be cheaper. But really, that's the, what the true price of a garment should be. <laughs> you know, when you think about paying someone ethically to make your clothing, if you've ever had to make something yourself, make a garment or do anything, it takes a long time to make something by hand. 
I was talking to recently a pattern maker in fashion. That's a lost and dying art now. Most of it is computerized. Yeah, but you know, even before the computerization, you have to be able to work with a model. You have to have skilled people to understand how what a really good fit is. It's integral to a good garment. And for smaller fashion brands, you know, they have to put a lot of money into pattern making. That's one of the most expensive areas. So when all the things that it takes to create a really good garment, they're all pushed aside for fast fashion. And I think that it's just made us undervalue what what the true cost of and price of clothing really should be. The irony of all of this is many of us now have wardrobes that are absolutely full to bursting, yet nothing that fits. Mm-hmm. I know, isn't it? It's like the, there's a statistic. It's like that we only use 20% of our wardrobes. You know that many women have so many clothes that they just never wear or you wear once and it just sits there. Uh, um, guilty know. of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's a bit of kind of truth to it in the way that, you know, we love newness. We love, we want to look different every day. You know, we 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 want to be inspired with what we wear every day. And I think there's new ways of discovering that now since we have so much clothing available to us. And that's where I think your your concepts of the joyful frugalista come in, you know, really thinking about uh, looking after your budget, thinking about what do I need and also approaching it with the mindset of, oh, I could rent, oh, I could buy pre-loved clothing, secondhand clothing. And you can on-sell it. And I think it's becoming really normalised to be able to on-sell your clothing now. It's a, it's a whole new approach and it solves that, that question of having all those clothes in your wardrobe because <laughs> I really recently met a woman who started in Singapore. She started clothes swap events. In Singapore, they're really about fast fashion. There, You've got to look good, new all the time. Mm. It's, it's a real industry. But, and she, she used to be part of that and she kind of, she saw, she got to this point, she's like, oh, my God, this, this, I can't do this. This is not good for sustainability. And she created clothes swaps and they are so popular now. Like people are really embracing this because they understand the issues of sustainability. Which is good news for me because, as you know, I'm developing a new platform called The Joyful Fashionista, which is a marketplace for buying and selling secondhand clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will always love op shops, but op shops themselves are overrun by things. And it's actually hard for them often to price the higher, higher quality items as well. So Hopefully I'll be launching in the next month or so. I'm really excited about it. But I do think there is that growing appetite. Whereas once it was almost an embarrassment to be wearing secondhand clothes. Mm. For years in my public service job when I was being very frugal to fund the investment properties that we were growing, we didn't have a lot of cash to splash. I pretty much wore op shops to work and I was really, really secretive about it. If people complimented me on anything, particularly jewellery, and said, where did you get it? My comeback line was always, it's a gift from my husband. <laughs> <laughs> that was my throwaway line one. because no one's <laughs> ever going to ask any further because they figure that you probably don't know either. I just say it's a gift. Yep. But I just didn't want to let on that things were secondhand, whereas now, mm. like, I'm very open about it. Like, what I'm mm. wearing now, this came from a church fate. It's kind of a bit random, but I kind of like it. My necklace came from a clothes swap that I hosted. Mm. And I love that. And I love it when I host clothes swaps. I love seeing items that I've had just absolutely look fabulous on someone else. Mm, love that. And I, I can't wait to see this this new venture of yours. It's so exciting and it gives so much opportunity for people to on-sell their clothes and it's going to be great. 
And I think, oh, gee, there's just so much involved in that, isn't it? I mean, even for myself, you know, I grew up with secondhand clothing as well and I hated it. It was so embarrassing for me. And, you know, as I, I know, I've been through all facets of fashion in the industry and, you know, for a while I only bought designer. But then it was like, okay, but hang on, that, that you know, that's not cool anymore for one thing. But also it's like I just realised that's not really fashion. You know, it's like what about the connection to culture? What about the connection to people and the process? And you, you look at these incredible artisanal skills, they connect to a whole story. Like now I have this thing of I'd rather buy something from someone who has it's come from their rich heritage. It's come from their, their you know, passion to create something. And if it's a beautiful item, then why not? And it's funny because I have this um, chapter in my book called Just Because It's Sustainable Doesn't Mean It Can't Be Beautiful. So true. And I think that there's a concept with sustainability because it's a newer term in fashion, but there's a concept with sustainability that's hessian sacks and shapeless garments. And it's so not that. It's like people like Stella McCartney are really showing us how to create incredible garments is just with a different mindset, with sourcing the material sustainably in a way that has the least impact on the environment. So it's just a different mindset. So when we talk about sustainable clothing, what are we talking about? And I'm mentioning this because the term gets used quite a lot. Mm. Is all sustainable clothing sustainable? Oh my gosh. Like that's another great question, Serena. And it's, it's just, it's a huge topic. I think Look, I think every product has an impact. Every every garment that's made, you know, it's come from somewhere, it's come from the environment, what's going to happen with it, where is it going to go at the end of its life? So every product has an impact. The question now is because we're, we're buying so many clothes, because there's so many clothes out there, it's how can we have the least impact and who are we buying from? How are they creating their clothing? Are they creating their clothing in a way that, is, is considered, are they caring about where they get their materials from? Are they sourcing from farms that are giving back to the earth and, and regenerating the soil? Or are they sourcing from farms that are depleting the environment, that are putting chemicals into the environment? So these are some of the questions that we need to ask in terms of sustainability. I think the word sustainability is really, really overused. And I think a lot of people don't understand what it means. I think a lot of people are kind of a bit confused. I think it's a catchphrase. I think you know, then there's the topic of greenwashing, which means, you know, you go to a brand, they say it's eco-conscious. We've got no idea what that means. That just means they're trying to say that maybe it's got organic cotton in the mm. T-shirts, but the, but the company uses plastic in their packaging. They ship their collections three times around the world before they receive it. They're, you know, they use polyester in all their other clothing, but they say they're eco-conscious because they have one or, organic cotton T-shirt. So, that, and that's misleading for us because as consumers, because there are a lot of brands using these words and then we don't really know what it means. And I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of research being done into this now. And I recently met a woman who was telling me that there's going to be a whole new set of standards coming out about the terminology that businesses can use when they're talking about sustainability, when they're talking about whether they're sustainable or not, so that consumers really understand, oh, this is all the parts of my business that are aligning to be a sustainable brand. And then they have to show that, that transparency comes into that. And that's a part of the sustainability question is, are they being transparent? Are they showing me, not just telling me, when we go to their website, are they showing me 
that where their factories actually are, are they actually telling me what kind of materials they're using and even sometimes showing me the the line of where they came from. Tech, that's where technology comes in, which is so amazing, like blockchain, which I know nothing about, but I'm just slowly <laughs> understanding it. Blockchain is able to help companies trace the line of production in their materials and their clothing so and, and show that to consumers. So there's a lot of work going on in the industry at the moment to become more transparent. But I think we really need to be careful with the word sustainability because it's really, really overused. Talking about sustainability here, but of course, ethical considerations are a number one as well, which often go hand in hand with sustainability. Mm. They're not quite the same, yeah, but they are related. And with globalisation, you know, obviously that we've now got a global supply chain happening and a lot of companies themselves don't always know the actual source of their products. In your book, you talk about the Rana Plaza issue in Bangladesh. More recently, there's been a lot more controversy around cotton and Xinjiang, for instance. Mm. So what can consumers do to, to understand this? Oh, gee, uh, Serena, it's just, this is a really It's a minefield, isn't it? Yeah, it's so hard to it, know. It's so hard to know. And I think, you know, overall, what, what can we do? Buy less. Just really, it's, it's elevating our approach to fashion. Making, having a mind shift, paradigm shift, why am I buying so much? You know, that's, that's kind of a better approach to take, I think, and only buy from people that can really show you where their, their workforce came from, who they are. You know, there's a brand in Melbourne, Australia, who will tell you the name of the person who sewed your garment. Wow. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, and they're in Melbourne. They're in their, their design <laughs> house, which doesn't happen very much. You know, that's, no. production is really offshore. No, and I guess I've always sort of felt, well, if I'm buying something that's been made by someone, it's usually made by a woman. Sewing is usually a, a very female kind of task. Mm. My thinking has always often been, well, at least I'm providing a job for someone. Mm. But it's not that simple, is it, anymore? No, I don't think so. In the bigger factories, in the developing countries where most of our clothing is made, 80% are approximately, you know, the, the statistics vary depending where you read it from, a, approximately 80% of the workforce is women and they're not paid fairly. They get barely a living wage. They can't feed their families. Oftentimes they have to send their children to live with their parents in another area because they can't afford to look after them but also because they work so much, they want to keep their jobs. And I think this ties into kind of the point that you were making earlier about ethical considerations. I think and them wanting the job, we we think we're giving back. That's what you were saying. We think we're giving back to them. But but if you think about it, you know, there was a big conversation when the pandemic started around, you know, because all these fashion brands were basically stopping their orders and a, a lot of people couldn't work, lost their jobs. And there's a conversation around kind of this idea of like if fast fashion brands stop producing today because we want them to not exist because of their negative impact, but what does that mean for the workforce? Would they have no jobs? But then I think it's kind of a false concept in a way because they've brought in this kind of workforce that isn't beneficial anyway. And before that, they had other ways of living. I mean, I think there, there would be other opportunities. They would find other ways. We think we're contributing sometimes by buying Gama, but many times we're not. And that's why, why when you say, what can we do? I think, you know, it does come back to us. We have the power in our wallet. We have the ability to put our money in really good places. And sometimes it can be hard. If you're shopping 
and you see something you love and you go, oh, it's just a garment. Like, I'll just buy it. It's okay. But it does have an impact. It has a whole chain of processes behind it and people behind it and someone made it. And oftentimes these people in these developing countries, if they did make it, they know the price that we're paying for the garment and they know the blood, sweat and tears that's gone behind it. So, you know, sometimes they get beaten in the factories because they're not creating these garments mm. quick enough. How can we contribute to that? And I think it just, like I said before, it takes a real mind shift. Yeah, it does. And I really liked your comment too about that we've got power in our wallet and power mm. to make these decisions. And speaking of money, do you have a frugalista tip to share? Well, I think overall when we're thinking about fashion and when we're looking at our clothing, oftentimes women go through their wardrobes and want to get rid of a lot of pieces because they think, oh, I'm just going to move it on and get something new. So I think my frugalista tip would be look at your clothing and look at before you think throwing it out, think about what are all the ways that I can um, continue the life of this garment because sometimes when we just send it somewhere, it either goes into landfill or gets incinerated, we don't know where it goes. We can on sell our clothing. You know, we can sell it on a site like yours, which is coming up, which is incredible. We can send it to a consignment store. We can take it to a pre-love store where we know that it will actually be sold. We can look at how we can alter our clothes, get them remade into something else or shaped, reshaped if they're too big or sometimes if they're too small, you can let them out. We can rent them on rental sites sometimes. So there's so many other options. So I think the, the main question will be, how can I extend the life of my clothes? Thank you for sharing that. That's a, a great tip. And actually, I saw a, a recent news article about a lady who dyed her wedding dress. And actually, there's a lot of these sorts of stories around. But this one was quite interesting because she took her white lacy wedding dress mm -hmm. and she dyed it khaki green wow now, initially I was like oh my god what a sacrilege but <laughs> when you actually looked at it khaki green although it looked beautiful it didn't look at all like a wedding dress she also took up the length so it was no longer floor length mm -hmm. and she's a performer and she regularly wears it performing so she's like something that she spent a lot of money on which most brides only wear their dress once mm -hmm. some might I actually my second wedding dress I actually gave to a friend who got married during COVID last year so mine's been worn twice but mm -hmm. usually it's only once yeah and to, into something that she loves and wears all the time mm. oh, I love that that's amazing and I, I think there's so much of that going on now there's a new initiative, well, it's been happening for a little while now, but to me it's new because I, I only became aware of it recently, but it's basically it's like a competition for young people, fashion designers, to take materials from anywhere, you know, like op shops, discarded materials, and turn them into completely new garments. And they are the most fashion-forward garments you've ever seen in your life. Like some of them are so beautiful. And they've just repurposed them, cut them up and made them into a completely new garment. It's amazing. It just shows the potential of what we can do with the already existing garments. Wow. And I guess a lot of those fabrics from a lot of the vintage items are so nice. Like they don't have as many synthetics in them and they're just really, mm. really good quality. Yeah, great point, Serena. And that's something I'm really passionate about is natural fabrics. I think, you know, if, if there's anything we can do is really um, look for clothing with natural fabrics, natural fibres like cotton and wool and I think that goes a long way to clothing lasting for a long time. Wonderful thank you. So how can my listeners contact you and find you? My main place is my website lolitalo.com. They can find my book It's Time to Rethink Your Fashion which is available on my website and on Booktopia and Amazon globally 
And if you order it through my website, though, it comes with a special pink on the inside of the cover, which isn't anywhere else. So that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, all, all through my website, uh, you can contact me really easily and you'll find my email there. So if you just want to shoot me an email too, that's really fine. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Start a brand new life with a high.